Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, now offering an online master's degree in teaching. A state license can be earned after the first summer semester with an opportunity to teach grades 7 through 12. Accepting applications now through May. More information at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, April 25th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, now that Governor Bryant has signed an education funding bill, find out how it could impact some local districts. When you're talking about making some cuts in a school budget, 80% of your budget is your personnel. So that's really the only place that you're going to have and going to make up some ground within your budget. Then how drones are bringing Mississippi researchers together with the Department of Homeland Security. And after StoryCorps, Mississippi's outgoing Teacher of the Year is in Washington this week. We'll hear her thoughts on reaching struggling students. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. State Education Watchdog Group says public schools in Mississippi will be getting less money from the state legislature than they did 10 years ago once you factor in inflation over that time period. Governor Phil Bryant recently signed the education funding bill for the next school year. Nancy Loom is the executive director of the Parents Campaign. She tells MPB's Mark Rigsby how funding compares year over year. This year, schools were funded, they, they received $20 million less than they actually received in 2017. In 2017, they received $20 million than they received the year before. So the, in the current year, this is the 2017 budget year, uh, we're down $20 million. For next year, schools will be short another $20 million. And what that means for parents and students in Mississippi is larger class sizes, fewer resources, um, less help for struggling students, um, fewer resources for gifted students. At every level, we are seeing schools having to cut back because they simply don't have uh, the resources that they've had in prior years. Um, I took a look at how the budget for next school year compares to the budget 10 years prior in the 2008 school year. And when you take out the additional funding that had to be provided to cover the cost of the teacher pay raise that was passed a couple of years ago, today's schools are funded at a much lower level than they were 10 years ago. And we know that in that same time, we've had at least 15% inflation. 
And so it's a real struggle for schools to keep up with the higher academic expectations um, that have been placed on students and teachers and the, the stronger accountability and all of those things that are, that are good. Uh, we want our students to achieve at a higher level, and we want expectations to be set at a high level. But students and teachers also need the resources to be able to reach those higher expectations. I was also looking at some of the numbers that you provided, and most school districts received less money for 2018 than the prior year. However, some school districts received more money. Can you explain how that can happen? Sure. That has to do with two things. Primarily, enrollment. We've, we have some school districts that are growing a lot. And, of course, every school district is funded based upon average daily attendance. And so those school districts that are seeing uh, significant growth in their student bodies are going to be getting more funding, while those who are those districts that are experiencing lower enrollment will see that funding loss exacerbated. Another thing that can figure into that is the local contribution. If there's a pretty significant change in what is contributed through property taxes at the local level and what 28 mills generates, then that's going to change their requirement at the local level and therefore change what the state owes the school district. But most of that is driven by enrollment. The areas that I was referring to, DeSoto County, Pearl River County, Madison County, Biloxi, places where or predominantly we're seeing some growth. That's right. That's exactly right. That's what's driving that. And so um, while they are seeing an increase in their budgets. They're not seeing a proportionate increase in their budgets. The per student amount that they're getting to help them cover the cost of educating those new students is not what it should be. Everyone is getting less per student. If you're saying that compared to 10 years ago, the level of funding is much lower today than back then, then what does that say about the commitment to fund education in Mississippi? Well, we have seen a steady decrease in the percent of the overall state budget that goes to public education. Um, back in 2008, 28% of the budget went to public education. And recently, that's dropped down to about 21%. And so that's a concern for parents. Um, we, we think that some of that is, is being made up just a little bit in recent years when we had budget cuts, mid-year budget cuts recently. Governor Bryant did exempt the MAEP from the first round of budget cuts, the first two rounds of budget cuts, but then there were two additional rounds and, and, and those budgets were cut. You know, one of the things that we believe strongly is that economic prosperity will never precede a strong public education system. Our, our leaders are, are focused, as they should be, on recruiting industry and jobs to the state. And at the very top of any industry's list of important considerations when they look at places to, to possibly locate is a strong public education system. Mississippi is just never, ever going to meet her full potential in economic development and in prosperity until we decide to invest in our public education system like other states invest in theirs. And we know 
that in our neighboring states of Arkansas and Alabama and Louisiana and Tennessee, when you look at per pupil what they spend on their public schools, it, it far exceeds what we are providing here in Mississippi. And our students, when they graduate and, and go into the workforce, are going to be competing with their peers in those states for good jobs. Nancy Loom, the executive director of the Parents Campaign, thanks for joining us on Mississippi Edition. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. To see how funding cuts are being handled on a more local level, we reached out to several school districts across the state. We heard back from Alcorn County, where District Business Manager Kimberly Woodard tells R. Mark Rigsby they're trying to do more with less. It's tough from year to year having to um, budget our, our, our district's needs for the, the limited budget that we're getting in from the state each year. It, it's sort of just like a balancing act. You know, they, they give you your allocation, and then from year to year we just have to go with it and, and decide what it is that we have to do to, to meet the needs of the kids. So um, sometimes it means uh, if the teacher's retiring, we just do that through attrition. Maybe we don't replace that particular teacher, and that would mean maybe increase class sizes, which is not ideal for our students each year. So that, that's one of the things that we, we would have to do. What does it look like next year in terms of the budget for your school district? Um, I do know that we're $1.4 million below what our full funding number would get. And uh, as compared to last year, we are going to receive around $600,000 less than we received last year. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm working on that right now, trying to see exactly what it means for our district and what we what we would have to cut. So I'm, I, I'm not in that deep yet. Uh, it's still a, a working process at this point. I know this is a very serious uh, matter for, for you because these are big decisions you have to make. Can you take us through the process of when you're considering making cuts and moving money around for different programs and different things that go on in the school district? It's definitely not, not my decision, which it's is very uh, comforting to me, but we uh, we have to consult with the superintendent, with our uh, school level administrators, and you know see exactly what it is that um, our biggest needs are and what what we can do without. And that's a tough decision to make, but you know somebody's got to make it, and we take consideration from the school board also. Kimberly, you mentioned uh, increasing class sizes as well as not filling positions when teachers retire. What other things are under consideration? You know when you're talking about making some cuts in a school budget, 80% of your budget is your personnel. So that's really the only place that you're, you are going to, going to have and going to make up, make up some ground within your budget. Certainly that's the last thing we want to do is let anybody go. Um, but, so that's the only thing that we can do at this point is if, if we do have somebody retiring, we just uh, try to work it out to where we do not fill that position, whether it's a teaching position or, you know, a, a non-certified a custodial position or a secretary position, you know, something like that. It, it makes it difficult for the others to pick up that slack, but so that everyone keeps their jobs, and that's really what we what we want to do. You know, that's a sacrifice that we have to make. So it sounds like you're doing your best job with less money. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. That's, that's all that we can do at this point. Kimberly Woodard of the Alcorn County School District, thank you very much for being on Mississippi Edition. Thank you. In other news, Mississippi will soon be the new base for a major drone research project. As MPB's Alexis Ware reports, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security wants Mississippi State University to lead the effort. Researchers at MSU are working to coordinate plans to begin drone training. The drones will be used to gather better on-site views for first responders and other homeland security agencies. These situations may vary from wildfire and flood coverage to land or water search and rescue missions. 
Dallas Brooks is the director of Rapid Flight Research Laboratory at MSU. He says the images the drones capture can help gather more efficient information. So the ability to get a big picture view and then zoom into the fine details that ordinarily you could only get by having a lot of people on the ground, that, that UAS system will allow uh, you to replace, you know, in some cases, dozens of people on the ground with high fidelity imagery that gives you an exact report on how and where things are going. School officials say the demonstration range facility will use about 2,000 square miles of restricted airspace at altitudes up to 60,000 feet. Brooks says Mississippi has potential training facilities which made it a good choice for homeland security. What we already have here in Mississippi in terms of uh, facilities such as Camp Shelby, Dennis Space Center, and facilities in both uh, Jackson and Hancock counties. The other piece uh, is experience. So between what we have at Mississippi State, our personnel have a long history in UAS operations. All of these things combined to make it close to a perfect storm. The demonstration range facility is expected to begin operations this fall. Alexis Ware, MPB News. We are continuing our education theme coming up. Mississippi's outgoing teacher of the year is in Washington this week. We'll hear her thoughts on reaching struggling students. That's after StoryCorps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB. Think Radio. Kansas City was a, a huge emotional experience for women. He had written the book Yazoo about uh, the integration of a deep southern town. From the 70s onward was when true integration really existed within Mississippi and it just so happened that that was the era in which I matriculated through schools. And I didn't realize this at the time that I was really brought up in a utopia. Yazoo Revisited Friday night at 8 on MPB TV. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. Juan Carlos Cervantes never knew his father. He calls his mother an abstraction, having had only a limited relationship with her. He was raised by his grandparents in his native Guadalajara until moving to L.A. at the age of 12. In this week's Mississippi Story Corps, Juan Carlos talks about how his upbringing has affected his own imperfect relationship with fatherhood. I didn't really have parents. I mean, I mean, I knew I had a mother, but uh, more of an abstraction, something that was mentioned. I remember missing her. I remember, I acutely remember the you know, the chest pains, thinking about her and crying for, you know, for a mother that it was just seemed like something I was supposed to have. But I don't know if the pain was sincere, it was, or it was something that I felt like I had to have because everybody else seemed to have. But it wasn't until I was older, about 12 years of age, that I got a chance to live with her, but not really live with her. She rented an apartment for my sisters and I, and she'd come around. Uh, but it was very tumultuous. Mm-hmm. That's what? what I remember. Do you remember her as a as a child? No, because you know I was raised by I was raised by my grandparents, and I remember she'd come around. There was a time when I was about five that she did live with us for about a year, but it was real real tough on her because you know she had to do it on her own, and so she just went on. She went elsewhere to Guadalajara because she got a better job there, so she would just send money home. So that's it. I mean, that was all I... So what I knew about her was just what I heard. Mm-hmm. You know, I was supposed to love her because she mm-hmm. was my mother. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I guess I did. 
And then your dad? I didn't have a father. There was never any mention of him. And I guess my grandfather was kind of like my uh-huh. surrogate father. But after he passed away, I, I went to different homes. And one was my uncle, my mother's oldest brother. And so he was kind of like a father. But he had eight children of his own. So. Uh-huh. But he was a good fellow. So tell me how you got into this parenting yeah. piece of your life. Well, yeah, I mean, I became a parent. It just happened. I think it's partly cultural. You know, there's sort of an expectation that that's what everybody does, right? You just you have kids. It just happened. I met a, a girl, an American girl, and, you know, before I realized it, uh, there was a child on the way. And uh, so it just seemed like the right thing to do. And without any other plans or any thoughts or... Anything. Suddenly I found myself, you know, a father. By the time it was all over, I had four. Do you think you're a good dad? Well, you know, I used to think that all you needed to do was just provide and at least convince yourself that you were their guardian and their protector. And You know, and I'd spent a lot of time with them, quality time playing with them. And, and I thought just... I was given guidance, but again, I question myself now, and I, so many moments that, you know, I relive in my mind, and I could have done things different. What do you think that your kids would say about you in terms of being a dad? Well, you know, that's always a tough one, right? I mean, if it comes from them, so let's let's look at it that way. If it comes from them, I think they would say that I... They have no doubt in their mind that I loved them. I think, for me, that's the biggest thing. To know that someone loves you, I think it's probably the most important thing that we can feel as a human being. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps mobile tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The first 100 days of the Trump presidency have been dominated by one story. Russia is fake news. I am now decided to recuse myself from any investigation. Director Comey was the president's statement that Obama had his wires tapped a true statement. I leaked nothing to nobody. Looking back on 100 days of President Trump and Russia, that's this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's outgoing Teacher of the Year is capping her tenure with a trip to meet the President and First Lady. Jody McKenzie is an English teacher at Gaucher High School. She was announced as the State Teacher of the Year last April. She's joining the National Teacher of the Year and other state finalists in Washington, D.C. this week. McKenzie says teaching is about the calling, not the congratulations. Well, it's extremely humbling and shocking and exciting all at the same time. Um, As teachers, you know, we do our work because we're called to do that work, and it means 
the world to us. And so we do it without ever expecting anything of this sort to come about. But it definitely does you know, affirm that I am doing what I am supposed to be doing and that I just need to keep pushing through and keep, you know, working hard and fighting the good fight because one day it is definitely, definitely making a difference. What subjects do you teach? I teach 10th grade English. Just as a as somebody who's teaching something that's like so vital to the kids' future, talk about uh, how you approach uh, relating to students and making sure that they're relating to the material that you're trying to teach them. Well, in our state, um, English two is a state tested class, so at, at first, let them know that this class is extremely important to your future and where you're trying to go in life as long as one of your goals is to walk across the field and receive your diploma. You can't graduate without passing this class or this test. Um, and then I do whatever I can to pull things that my students love to do. So on the first day of school, I have them fill out a help me get to know you form. And then I try to drive all of my instruction around different things that different students mention that they love or that they have an interest in. And I try to teach all of the skills that must be taught in the newest and most innovative and most real-life way to my students so that they will buy into it and grab onto it and participate in the discussion. There's a real um, disconnect, I think, for with some students, especially at the age that you're teaching. And, and, and hopefully it's not everyone. Hopefully it's not even close to everyone. But, but uh, it, there are some students who, by the time they reach that age, they've just kind of checked out. What, how, is there anything that can be done among students who are already in those later years of high school to, to reach out to them, to sort of reconnect them with the educational process to kind of help them understand why it's important to their future? Absolutely. It's never too late to start over, is the way I see it. And so when you get those students in your class in these later years of high school, you have to really buckle down and dig deep and get to know that student, get to know where that student wants to go in life, get to know where that student is right now in life, inside and outside of school, and then do every single thing you can to help give that child everything they need so that they will feel prepared to possibly hit that reset button and start over. You're headed to Washington where you're going to participate in the National Teacher of the Year event in Washington, D.C. Uh, possibly, probably have the opportunity to meet the president and the first lady uh, and participate at events at the White House. Uh, tell me about your feelings about, about that upcoming trip. I'm super excited. Um, as you know, I was named last April, so I've had an entire year to look forward to it. I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to see all the other state teachers of the year from across the nation and the territories. Um, I'm just, I'm, I feel so blessed to have been chosen and to have been given this opportunity. And I cannot wait to take every single advantage of every opportunity that we are given next week. So have you been, uh, have you communicated with your, with your students about this? Use this at all as, as a teaching tool or a civics lesson of any kind or, or been able to incorporate uh, your upcoming trip and your interaction uh, with uh, these national officials with your students? Uh, yes, we have discussed um, in depth what I will be doing next week, my purpose for going there. Um, we have also talked about how 
you know, as one person, I am giving it all, my all to make a difference for the state that we live in and our students and our teachers and all of our school districts. And then we've talked about how they can make a difference in their communities because I told them that it all starts in your community, giving back to your small community. That's how it started for me. I teach in the city that I grew up in, and it was important for me to give back to my community that always supported me. And so by doing that, it continued to grow and to grow and to grow. And now I am in a position where I can speak to people who can make differences on the national level. Jody McKenzie is an English teacher at Goshe High School in the Pascagoula Goshe School District and has been uh, Mississippi's Teacher of the Year for this school year and is headed to Washington to meet the President and the First Lady and participate in the National Teacher of the Year events. Jody, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, now offering an online master's degree in teaching. A state license can be earned after the first summer semester with an opportunity to teach grades 7 through 12. Accepting applications now through May. More information at education.